So companies that are really up to $1 million uh, annual revenues, we scale them up to eight figures at least uh, in usually a time frame of one year. So we basically operate their growth, we accelerate and strategize uh, how we're going to to scale them and uh, we have a team that supports this uh, this growth uh, throughout the whole process. Yeah, So we take these companies from six figures all the way to eight figures and uh, we do it in the D2C e-com space. Welcome to e-commerce podcast with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. Now, this is a show that is all about helping you deliver e-commerce wow and to help us do just that today i am chatting with leo caracas from jump ventures about breaking down his million dollar playbook a deep dive into entrepreneurial growth but before leo and i jump into our conversation uh, let me share with you some podcast picks oh yeah some previous episodes that i think you're going to enjoy Check out the episode with Maureen Mwangi called From Startup to Growth, which was a fantastic conversation. And also the three top tips for startup success with Heike Haldre, which was, Heike is just such a legend. And I still remember that episode. So it is in the archive. You can access our podcast picks and our entire archive for free on the website, which is ecommercepodcast.net. That's ecommercepodcast.net. Plus, if you're there and you haven't done so already, make sure you sign up to the newsletter and we get an email with all of this good stuff, the podcast picks, the show notes, the trans... Well, not you don't want the transcripts, but you get the show notes, uh, you get the links uh, to the guests and all that sort of good stuff. No cost to you, which is pretty amazing. So make sure you sign up for that. Now, are you struggling to grow your e-commerce business? Do you feel like you're constantly spinning your wheels trying to figure out what to focus on next. Well, we have been there, let me tell you, and I know how frustrating it can be. That's why, oh yes, I am a partner in e-commerce cohort. I, I'm a big believer in what's going on and we have something called Cycles, a free training uh, which you can access at ecommercecycles.com, which is the sort of the, well, I guess it's my my inner secrets on how I build e-commerce businesses uh, and the, the system that we use here. So make sure you check that out. It's for free at ecommercecycles.com. Now, that's the show sponsor. Let's talk about today's guest. But before I read his bio, let me just give a shout out to John Roman, who has connected both me and Leo today. John Roman has, as you will know, if you're a frequent listener, has also been a guest on the show. Uh, and we talked about how to use content to connect with your community. And also a couple of weeks ago, actually, at the time of recording, I hooked up with John at Sub Summit where we met in person and what a legend that guy is. So do check out that episode uh, and also John's website, which is battlebox.com. But that's battle without an E. Oh, yes. Now, let's talk about Leo, an entrepreneurial dynamo who's propelled over 50 companies to new heights. As a partner at Jump Ventures, he's mastered the art of scaling direct-to-consumer businesses from a modest six-figure enterprise to a booming eight-figure powerhouse. Driven by a single mission to elevate founders uh, and their companies, Leo has become a leading light in the world of business growth. So I'm excited because one, he was recommended by John, who's a legend, and two, uh, he's got a truckload of experience that we can 
jump into and pick his brains on uh, as we get into his playbook and unearth his secret to strategies for success. Leo, welcome to the show, man. Great to have you here. How are you doing? Great. Thanks a lot, Matt. It's a, it's a good day to be in the show. <laughs> it is a good day to be in the show. I like that. That should be a slogan, actually. It's a good day to be in the show. Whereabouts in the world are you? I'm in the Netherlands. It's a city called Utrecht. We're based in Amsterdam, but I live in Utrecht. I'm at my house today. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And are you enjoying the weather boom that we seem to be getting in the UK at the moment? That's it. That's why it's a good day to be in the show. It's uh, quite <laughs> nice in the, in the background. It's a nice, uh, nice weather. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy. Fantastic. Fantastic. And how do you know, um, I mean, we give a shout out to John, he's connected. How do you know John? Yeah. So John is part of one of my mastermind groups that we, we discuss everything about e-com and how, how to scale companies. He's in one of the groups that I'm part of and through experience, this is how we, we actually connected with like-minded people and, and people that really have, uh, nice tips, tricks, and experiences from the past on, on how to grow e-com business. Yeah, yeah. And I, well, I imagine John's full of them, really. Uh, those helpful tips yeah. and tricks. How long have you um, been doing masterminds? Have you found those to be useful? Oh, very useful. Not only masterminds, but uh, as a whole, being part of communities that uh, are sharing uh, lessons on entrepreneurship. That, does, that doesn't really matter for me if it's only e-com or of entrepreneurship as a whole. Uh, it, I've been part of it for the last six years, almost uh, immediately as we, we started our first uh, startup. Yeah, fantastic. And how do you find these different communities? Yeah, so basically uh, it works through referral. So it, uh, the ones that we really found out that were great communities are the ones that get uh, referred to us. And this is how we actually uh, build really strong relationships with, uh, with other entrepreneurs or uh, actually get a lot of value from. So are the ones that mm. we get referred to. So from the start, the ones that we got referred to and get exposed are the ones that, uh, that we stick out and, and stay the longest. That's interesting. That's interesting. I like you, I'm a big fan of masterminds. So I'm always kind of curious how people find them and, and how they get involved. Um, so tell me about jump ventures. What is jump ventures? What do you guys do? So jump ventures is a sort of an atypical venture capital. Uh, mm -hmm. it's something between an incubator and a venture capital. We basically accelerate companies uh, that are focused on the e-commerce business, D2C space, mm -hmm. that are within the six figures. So companies that are really up to $1 million uh, annual revenues. We scale them up to eight figures at least uh, in usually a time frame of one year. So we basically operate their growth. We accelerate and strategize uh, how we're going to to scale them and uh, we have a team that supports this uh, this growth uh, throughout the whole process yeah so we take these companies from six figures all the way to eight figures and uh, we do it in the d2c e-com space but yeah i mean i i don't want to just gloss over what you just said because um six figures to eight figures in one year um, and yeah. there's a lot of people listening to the show who can if I can be so bold as to say, probably are, are dreaming about that kind of growth, um, but has been, but it has proven elusive, uh, let's say, uh, to many a business over the years. So, 
How do you do that? I mean, we talk about your playbook, but is is there a is there sort of strategies that are, are they different for every company, or are there some commonalities amongst what you do? Yeah, so that's the playbook. That's the commonalities, right? So what we what we learned in the past is we started our own company called GoCase back in 2015, and we took mm-hmm. this company bootstrapped to uh, eight figures basically in three years. And throughout this process of getting uh, GoCase to eight figures, we actually had done thousands of tests. And the surprise, uh, only a few tests really matter. A few tests really move the needle. And basically right. what we got good at was uh, our prioritization process mm-hmm. and knowing, of course, from experience, what are the most important things to move a needle? What is going to create the highest impact with the minimum effort? Yeah. So when we, when we did this with GoCase, we basically started coaching and mentoring other companies just for the joy of it uh, two years ago and seeing yeah. if our strategy, our playbook was replicable. And we found out it was highly replicable. So replicable that we had a company last year. Unfortunately, I cannot mention it specifics because of NDA. But we took them from 1 million to 20 million in basically one, one year time. So um, everything that we learned and that we applied with GoCase, we started teaching and applying to other companies and seeing how far can we take uh, uh, those companies. And it's important to say, of course, um, you cannot do this with any company, right? It's not, not any company can go from six figures to eight figures quite fast or even get there at all. Yeah. But we found a common traits and KPIs that really show us the ones who have potential and the ones who are going to have a tough time. So we okay. prioritize the ones who do have that potential. Right. So what would you look for then in a company? I mean, what are some of those, um, how would you prioritize, you know, how do you know which ones are going to make it and which ones aren't? Yeah, so we basically look at four KPIs and the Mm -hmm. first KPI will tell us if there is product market fit, it's reviews. So when we find companies with a significant amount of reviews that are a 4.6, 4.7 out of five stars, we -hmm. see, hey, there's a product validation here. There should be a product market fit. This company should be highly scalable. If we see companies that are in the four range, four, four out of five and say, look, there's problems here either in the product, in the experience or whatever, but this company cannot scale very sustainably or cannot scale, have an easy ride scaling. So we, we first and foremost try to find companies which have a product market fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The second point uh, is about repurchase rate. So if we find companies that have around 30% repurchase rates, uh, we see that these companies have a very good um, probability to continuously sell and to have a profitable growth. Yeah. So if we are around 30%, we see we can still grow this. Uh, there is a room to, to continuously evolve over the months and there's a potential to uh, scale. Yeah. If it's basically a one product uh, kind of company, then this, you will see that the repurchase rate is going to be 5%, 10%, yeah. and yeah. it's going to be a very tough road to actually scale this profitably with uh, advertisement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The third KPI that we look at is AOV. Usually we try to work with an AOV that is around 50 US dollars and can go all the way to 75 US dollars. We have worked with companies in the past that have a 20 to 25. And the most important thing for us there is knowing that there's a path to grow this company to a 50 to 75 dollar, mm-hmm. even if they are not there today. 
But if it is a company that is way below or doesn't have the potential to grow because it doesn't have the portfolio to do so, then we say this is going to be too tough, uh, especially uh, if it's based on paid media. Paid media uh, costs just keep increasing year over year. Yeah. And if you don't have an AOV that can work towards with that, it's going to be very tough. So if we see an AOV that is can go all the way to 75, yeah, we say there's potential here. And 75 and above, we say, yeah. There's definitely mm -hmm. something to work with. And the last one is the thermometer. The thermometer for us is the conversion rate. Yeah. It will really depend on the context of the traffic, how much paid media was acquired, how much organic traffic is there, which channel was used, how much in terms of volume of traffic there is year over year. But when we look at something that has 3% and above conversion rate, we see there's still room to grow here. There's still room to, to push paid media traffic here. And uh, this, they are in a comfortable situation. If we already see something that is 2% and below and hasn't invested too much on, on acquiring uh, traffic before, then we see this is a tricky situation to scale. Yeah. So the four KPIs are really uh, reviews, star reviews, hmm. uh, repurchase rate, conversion rate, and AOV. Wow. And I, what, what I find fascinating Leo, about what you've just said is there aren't many people that come on the show and talk about the number of reviews as one of the primary factors for valuing a business uh, or valuing a business uh, in terms of understanding whether this business has got, has got any kind of longevity. Um, and so you said you're, you're looking for companies with a significant number of reviews, which are sort of 4.6, 4.7 stars out of five and above, which is yeah. a validation point. Uh, what's a significant number of reviews look like for you? I would say 500 is enough. If you have okay. 500 plus reviews, that's enough to get a validation. Yeah. Okay. So let's assume then that I have a company with, uh, let's say 2 million turnover. I've got, um, I, I meet the requirements on all of the things that you talk about. Um, and I've got reviews. My repurchase rate maybe is as high as 60%, um, average order value maybe a little bit high. Well, let's go with $75 and conversion rate. Yeah. Is above 3%. So we're singing we're, we're you know, the choirs and the angels are happy because of the four KPIs, um, have, have been met. What, what do you do then to take that type of company through such rapid growth? Yeah. So basically if we have those KPIs, we establish, this is a very high potential company to grow. And then we try to understand why they haven't grown before. And usually the case is you have founders uh, or a founding team that is very focused on product experience and customers. So they know really well why they started a company, why they create products and so forth, but they have no clue how to navigate the paid media uh, growth sites, how to strategize pricing, how to think about um, their portfolio increase for repurchase. So all the growth mentality is not really in the back of their mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when we see that is that is when we come in, we say there's a really a synergy here of what we can offer and how we can uh, help uh, these companies and what they currently lack. Yeah. So the first thing we see uh, and we try to understand is the overall growth strategy in terms of channels, uh, revenue buckets and tech level. So is this, a, is this a company that can be uh, scaled through TikTok? This company can only be scaled via, via meta channels. Is this a company that uh, 
has grown via Facebook communities, what was the primary channel and what are the, the, the channels that I can see immediately uh, being the main driver of, of the growth, which usually it's comprised of meta. It's usually mm -hmm. a meta uh, company, yeah? But mm -hmm. nowadays we have very good experiences of scaling and, and having a very good portion of the revenue coming also from TikTok, yeah? So we understand how much uh, uh, farther they can go if we also go on TikTok, yeah? Then we try to understand which revenue buckets they have. Are they a subscription-based uh, company? Are they a one-time purchase? Um, how can we really understand uh, their, their revenue buckets? So we think on a growth level, which are the channels that we can push, which are the types of revenue that they can get, mm -hmm. uh, and, tech, and in the tech level, what are the tools that they have to, to implement those, those, kind of, uh, those kind of things. Yeah, so it's just laying the ground of seeing what is available, what do we from our experience see that is uh, attainable to those companies, and what are they not grasping because they lack the experience that we have. This is just the lay of the land, yeah? Then it comes the second step, which is one of the most impactful steps. We understand uh, that it's nowadays you are playing a content game. So paid media growth on an e-commerce D2C level for us is a content game. Mm -hmm. And what we try to create with these companies is a content machine. How do you constantly spit out content that has converting messages that does the trick in attracting the right clicks and can actually get a very a profitable uh, acquisition cost. So trying to understand from the brand which assets they have in terms of I have influencers, I have UGC, I have my own uh, internal team, I have a studio. Which assets do you have to actually create content and how can we turn this into a machine to mm -hmm. constantly spit out content that will be tested, that will be competing against uh, the content you, you had before, and that can achieve the highest level of KPIs, which for us is click-through rate and CPC. Yeah, This mm -hmm. is how you constantly evolve a process to spit out content and actually attract traffic at a cheap rate and therefore have a scale and a affordable acquisition cost. This is one of the points that most entrepreneurs and most brands don't understand. You are playing nowadays a content game. If you're not yeah. good at content, if you cannot create amazing content, you cannot have amazing results. So you don't go to the next level. Once you unleash that part, okay, I get a lot of traffic. I get a way that I can sell the cost, uh, to customers. I get different concepts of how I can sell to a customer and you get, you unleash the next level. Yeah, so the content okay. Strategy is a big point and it's the second point. The third point, and it's almost as equally important as the, as the content, but it comes later, is the commercial plan. How are we doing with pricing? How are we doing with bundling? How can we think about uh, promotions and merchandising for uh, repurchase? So how do we strategize so we can constantly improve the AOV and we can constantly improve the conversion rate as well. Because as you start to push traffic to your website, you will see that the, those initial KPIs that we had before are gonna go down. And you need, your, your job is to kind of maintain a healthy balance between all these KPIs to make sure that you have a sustainable growth. Mm -hmm. So making sure that you constantly can improve your AOV, you constantly can you improve your repurchase rate so you have a profitable uh, performance, yeah? 
is the way that you work out your commercial plan. Yeah. And this is highly subjective to what do you have in your portfolio? How are you constantly doing product launches? How are you thinking about the pricing of the product launches? How are you thinking about the merchandising, bundling those products into one? Two, later on, figure out uh, if you have the right AOV, if you have the right repurchase rate to get a healthy conversion rate. Yeah. So this is the third step, which is almost as equally impossible, uh, uh, important as the content strategy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we have a couple of following steps, which the follow, following the financial structure. So we work uh, hand in hand with the companies because many, many, many entrepreneurs in the beginning don't really pay that much attention of how the, their PNL should look like, what are the areas they should optimize, how they can finance for growth, what are the things they don't know. Yeah. And we worked very tightly uh, with the interpreters to figure out, okay, let's set up your PNL, let's set up a cash flow forecast. How uh, do we see that bills coming in? How can we optimize logistic costs? How can we optimize uh, your cog, so on and so forth, that you can actually uh, afford your own growth. Yeah. So the financial structure uh, is something that comes afterwards and is very important. And then the data and tech stack. So thinking about everything that we do is very data driven. So how can we uh, make dashboards? How can we connect different uh, tools for attribution, for reporting, uh, and uh, for acquisition purposes that we know are the, the best ones to use? And that will give us all the information we need to have uh, uh, to, to avoid analysis paralysis. Yeah, so we can really take <laughs> steps and understand how oh, let's do this. This is the right decision. And we can see this on a real time, on a day by day, or week by week, and we don't have to wait 30 days so the PNL gets closed and then we finally see the results and we see what we did wrong and we did bad. No, no, we can do this very fast if we have the right tools and we have the right setup. And this is uh, an optional step and it's really depending on the company and the product, but it's internationalization. So figuring out if a company is able to internationalize, go to, to foreign markets, uh, expand at a profitable rate, and uh, if this is the best step it should do, uh, which we, we usually try to do it uh, after we reach certain kind of saturation in the home market. Mm. Wow. Leo, there's a lot there, dude. <laughs> there's a lot there. So let's dig into some of this if we can. So I just want to summarize uh, some of the things that you said. So from my notes, the first step, um, once we've gone through the four metrics, uh, is to understand the overall growth strategy um, and figure out what's going on there. We are then looking at this idea uh, in level two of the content game. Um, you said something, uh, I, I can't remember the exact phrase, but if you're not good at creating content, you've not got a, a sort of a future business in a, in a lot of ways. This is now a content game. You've got to get good at creating content. Uh, level three is the commercial plan which we need to think about. Number four is going to be the financial structure. Uh, number five, data and tech stack. And number six, possibly, which is an optional step, uh, does your product translate internationally? Have I got all of those correct? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Fantastic. Go me. Um, <laughs> so, so let's, uh, one of the things that you said at the start, um, when it came to the overall growth strategy is typically you come across companies that are led by the founders, by the guys that are really passionate about the product or the customer in some way, um, but aren't really focused on growth as maybe you would be focused on growth because you're a little bit 
um, can I use the word disconnected here? Because you're not as emotionally involved, maybe, uh, in okay. the companies. So let's dig into that a little bit, because there's a lot of founders listening to the show going, oh, this is interesting. Um, what are some of the common mistakes you see business leaders doing when it comes to their own products in terms of growth strategy? Well, uh, being overly, uh, the first one and, and clear one is being overly picking and micromanaging the way that they want the products to come out and the way that they want uh, um, advertisement, the content to come out to make sure it's perfect. And I mean, uh, good always beats perfect. So uh, one of the things that they miss out is understanding that uh, you are in the game of acquiring customers and experience and the product is, um, of course, an enabler for that. But in this, in this venture of trying to acquire customers, you need to figure out first what really triggers people into buying and mm -hmm. how you can create a system of spitting the right messages at the right time to the right people. Mm -hmm. If you're not focused on that, if you're focused on it needs to be perfect, then you miss out on the biggest, uh, on the biggest uh, point, which is testing approaches constantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the biggest mistake. Uh, being overly careful of how you say it, when you say it, etc., and not really thinking, hey, this, the, the reason I'm doing this and doing it fast is so I can figure out what is the best way that I can do this consistently over time. So do you get a lot of kickback then from founders about this or do they, once you explain it, are they, are they into it? I'm kind of curious as to, to understand in that mindset and that struggle maybe that they go through at this phase. Yeah. Um, one thing that we, that we find that pretty, um, fascinating is when they get out of their own head. So they are so into the product and into the brand and experience that they start only talking to themselves. And they, start, and they stop looking at uh, objectively things that they should be doing to try to get to, a, to a, a new headspace or trying to reach new people, yeah? So I've done this exercise many times now, and it's a, it's a, it's a nice hack to share with the community. Uh, it's using uh, a couple of AI tools to quickly have a grasp of what is the customer feedback. So mm. if you have uh, uh, a lot of feedback already, you can uh, download uh, all your reviews mm -hmm. um, and save them in a PDF documents and use chatpdf.com mm -hmm. uh, and just start having a conversation with chatpdf to say, okay, what are the highlights of the reviews? What are the pain points? What are the different personas here uh, attributed to the reviews? How can I turn this into ad hooks? How can I turn this into video scripts? What are the things people miss out uh, from the reviews? What do they uh, cherish the most? How do they view us compared to competition? So me being a very unbiased person at the, uh, coming into this uh, uh, situation, uh, I just grabbed this export of all the reviews and start having a conversation with multiple clients because I have all mm. the reviews. Hey, did you see that actually people are talking about your brand compared to competitors this way? Did you see that the thing that they value the most is number three in your list of uh, USPs when you always talk about one and two, but it's actually the number three that gets them to tick yeah. the most. Did you see that? So this is the way that, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I never thought about it. And I'm really selling number one, two, and three. So uh, this is one of the, the, the exercises that get customers, uh, that get uh, founders mostly, uh, they get their head spinning when they say, oh, shit, 
so much feedback here that I'm not contemplating or taking to, into account when, when thinking about my, my decision making. That's very powerful. Chatpdf.com was the site that you mentioned, right? Um, yeah. But that's, I mean, we've done that in the past, actually, where we've used ChatGPT to um, look at reviews and the data you get out of stuff like that is so insightful uh, yeah. and stuff that you would never have thought about, really. Um, yeah, no, that's interesting. Okay, so the content game, let's focus a little bit on the content game. Um, I think, I think first and foremost, Leo, if, if I'm a founder in an e-commerce, which technically I am, I, you know, <laughs> if I'm a founder in an e-commerce business, um, the content game is probably one of those things that scares me because if I, I'm just going to pick a random product on my desk here, I have, um, I can't remember what they call them, funky pops. Uh, I've, I've got my little Apollo Creed, right? There's yeah. watching on the video. Yeah. There he is. Little Apollo Creed, funky pops. I'm from a certain era. What can I say? Um, so I've got Apollo Creed there and I manufacture, you know, Apollo Creed and I'm passionate about what it, the story and, and all that sort of stuff. I can do that, but to ask me to do content is radically stepping outside of my comfort zone. At least in my head it is. I don't know if you found this to be true with founders. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You, it's, you, you need to having the, that's why, uh, I mean. I was trying to tell you, it's all about a content game, but not everyone can play the content game because mm. not everyone can have that content mind. It's, it's something you have to really experiment a lot and try a lot and have different angles to it. There's a, the scientific angle to it, which is looking at KPIs and try to adjust KPIs. There's the creative angle to it, which is, okay, how are you going to create different concepts? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there is the, the, the angle that puts everything in together. And we say it's the angle that creates desire. It's the, the, the creative strategist or the, the ad buyer, which has that view of the data and the qualitative, uh, uh, perception of the content that says, look, if we sell it with this angle, with this mm. hook, with this amount of, of footage, we should be able to convert much more than just that. So, uh, it's the creation of desire. Because mm. we are in a business that there's also two businesses that we separate. There's the demand generation and there's the demand capture business. Demand capture is the Google business. So people already have a certain type of, of, uh, of uh, they're already looking for something and they're just going to find the one who has the best price at the best review level. And that's sure. a, a demand capture game. And the demand generation is the Facebook, TikTok world, yeah? where you can spit out an idea to someone that they were not expecting and they are going to be instantly um, activated to go to the website and maybe buy it yeah, immediately or, or they're really going to have that desire, whoa, this is really interesting. I'm going to keep this in my, in my I'm going to save it, I'm going to keep it in my mind so maybe I can purchase it later on. Yeah, And creating that desire, it's, it's the art and science of trying to figure out how to create content with the right concept, with the right words, with the right amount of length and for different platforms. Mm. The way you create content for TikTok is very different than the way people used to create content for Facebook early on. Yeah. It's a very short, snappy, entertaining type of content that, okay, wow, I want to go and click, yeah? Uh, and Facebook, um, five, six years ago, was a very different way to create content. You really see like an ad type of, of, uh, of content popping up in your feed, like buy this now. Mm. So it's, it's a very mm. different type of, uh, of uh, of uh, content. So 
you have to have a mind uh, to develop and test out different concepts that are going to have focus on converting people. Yeah. So this is a skill. Uh, and this is a set of, of ingredients you need to actually have internalized uh, uh, to be able to succeed. So I, I've met founders which are really focused on the brand level and want to only make really nice pieces of stories, but don't really think about how the story is connecting to a product or connecting to a purchase. Yeah. And I have the other way, which is just about sales, 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 promotion, promotion, promotion. And they, they really don't build up something that why are people buying this? What problem are they solving? Mm. How can they propose in a short way uh, uh, why people would need that? So it is a tough game to play. It is not easy. And um, not everyone can have it. That's for sure. Mm. So this is one of the reasons why we also uh, are successful uh, scaling these businesses because we had to experiment a lot with that. We constantly get exposed to new concepts and we are constantly trying to learn. Whenever there's a new platform like TikTok, we got uh, on, the bed, on the bandwagon really uh, um, soon to try to learn how to get good at it. And uh, yeah, it takes time. It's not easy. No, no, is it? But it's a skill. And like most that you, I mean, that's the word you used. It's a skill, isn't it? Um, I'm a, I guess the question is, can most people learn that skill? Um, or is it something that I need to go and get external help with? Look, I think... Um, it is a crucial skill to have internal. Let me say it like that. I don't know if mm. you can get it. I don't know if you can learn it, but it's, it's uh, strategic to have it internalized. Yeah. So if you are not able to experiment with content internally, you're going to be always uh, dependent on a third party to do it for you. Mm. And you're going to leave the impact or you're going to leave your, your company in the hands of someone else. Mm -hmm. For them to come up with the concept, for them to come up with the angles, for them to come up with, with the stories. And internally, uh, you should know the best, your customer, the experience, what do they value. And you're constantly having a feedback loop from customers if they are liking the product, if they're not liking, what they're not liking. And you're feeding this in a loop to create constantly new content. Yeah. Mm. So it is very important to have it uh, internal this kind of power, yeah, if, if people can have it, and then later on build out the, the ads buying machine behind it. Yeah. So if it's, we learned it because we had to, uh, we mm -hmm. had to get sure. good at it, um, but we know it's not an easy thing to learn. That's for sure. So where do, um, if people are listening and go, well, this is, this is something I need to get into. I need to understand this a little bit more. For most people, where's a good place to start? Oh, that's a tricky one. So nowadays, uh, you know, one of the easiest exercises that, uh, that we do is just trying to understand TikTok, for instance. Mm -hmm. If people start to understand which content is going viral on TikTok, which are the different angles, which are the different concepts, how people are doing it uh, on an organic level, then you start to work your mind off to say, okay, how can I apply this to my brand? Yeah. How can I apply this to my product? So this, the platform is one of the platforms that uh, still allows you to have organic virality, uh, different than, than, than Instagram, uh, for instance. And this is a place where you can see unbiased way of, uh, of content creation on a, on a crazy scale. So you have a mm -hmm. lot of organic profiles creating original content 
and getting a very big virality. And you just have to analyze that. You have to study. Okay, was it because of the music? Was it because of the filters? Was it because of the story? Was it because of the product? And then you can start reflecting, okay, if this was a trend, if this got viral, how can I use this with my product? Yeah. So I'm sure that uh, you just showed me your, your, uh, uh, your product and it, for me, it looks amazing for, for demand generation. You just have to find similar, uh, um, similar companies that are doing the mm. same or with similar products. Okay. How are they telling a story about this? Yeah. Yeah. How are they pushing this product in a way that the content is highly entertaining? But at the same time, is actionable. Go and get it now, right? Uh, so I think analyzing TikTok and the trends on TikTok is the easiest way to to start to understand how to create content yourself. I like that. It has to be entertaining and actionable. Um, brilliant. So, um, Leah, I'm aware um, uh, of time, and we could spend all the day talking about TikTok and <laughs> content creation. But I want to switch tracks very slightly, if I can, because yeah. there's the other side to what you said at the start, which is you can grow from a million to, so from six figures to eight figures within 12 months. I listen to that and I kind of go, as an, as an entrepreneur, I go, yes, I, I understand how actually if you've got the right content machine, I can scale, right? Because that makes that makes a lot of sense. It's just I, I'm in effect, I'm buying customers. And if I can find enough customers at the right price, price, I can grow that business and I can bootstrap it and I can keep investing back into that. So in one sense, that seems sensible. It seems a little bit scary, um, but it, it seems sensible. The thing which um, the first sort of questions that go through my head are, how in the world am I going to manage that kind of rapid growth in terms of um, you know, going back to my Apollo Creed, uh, how do I get more Apollos on my shelf? How do I, have I got to go get a bigger warehouse? There's all sorts of questions, which then from a practical operations point of view, come into my head. And I wonder if you could just speak to some of those. Yeah. So definitely it scares people, uh, if it goes to such a rapid growth. Yeah. Uh, but I, I want to remind this is a talk I have with, with several of the companies who accelerate or help. Interpreters have to figure out ways to make things work, right? If mm -hmm. if you cannot, if your lead time now is uh, 90 days, okay, figure out, let's make it shorter. Let's make 60 days. Let's make the 45 days. But when you're in this comfort zone that your growth is stalled and you continuously make the same amount of revenues or you only grow 5 to 10% year over year, you don't really get to the stage where you have to significantly prove everything else in your company. So you might be paying way too much for customer support, or you might have really crazy lead times, or you might be not optimized on the way that you are um, thinking about your cash flow, yeah, or mm. uh, your payment uh, terms. And what this does is really pushes you to, hey, are we going to say no to this growth, which we don't know if it's going to come back uh, later mm. on, because there might be another event like an iOS or a whatever it might be, uh, yeah. or are we going to figure out the problems that we think can be figured out? So um, definitely the things that uh, start to, to, to come to point is, okay, production and lead times, yeah? Making sure you can actually fulfill a, a larger amount of items with the same speed, yeah? Making sure your customer support doesn't blow up and you have the right infrastructure to continuously reply to customers at the, with a good time and um, 
with the right, uh, how to say, uh, with still the same tone of voice and not just mm. uh, have an overload of, of, of tickets to reply to. And I think, and, and the last, of course, having the, fi the, the cash to finance it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be really clear on what you can spend, how you can spend, and if you cannot spend it right now, how you can prepare yourself to, to continuously spend. Yeah. Mm. So I think the financing side, the supply chain, and the customer support are the three big uh, areas where uh, it would be really painful to grow, yeah? Uh, and this is just, how are we going to figure this out? And we talk with the with the founders on, on the, the experience we had in the past for negotiating better payment payment terms, being able to do short-term financing, uh, being able to um, think about how to optimize our customer support flow. So we have already a lot of, uh, of, uh, of uh, yeah, best practices we acquired mm. in the past. Uh, of how to quickly scale something that is very beginner level at a more advanced level. But these are the three big, I think, tickets. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And I'm sitting here listening to you talk thinking, oh, this actually would be, um, for those listening who run their own e-commerce business, who are founders, um, this for me would be a really interesting thought exercise in the sense that let's say tomorrow you had 10 times more sales than you normally do and that growth was going to carry on for 12 months what how would you how would you cope with that um just thinking that through i think would just be a really interesting idea just because like you say it's easy to get comfortable in the rules which you currently play the game right so i'm currently playing this e-commerce game these are the rules these are the boundaries um my production time is x my uh, my customer support is why my finance is Z. But what happens if we start to turn that on, on our head? I think it's just, it would just be a really interesting thought exercise to do. Um, I, I can give you one uh, very interesting case that we constantly uh, have it, and it's one of the best hacks for growth. Yeah. Okay. One of the best hacks for growth is product launches. Having a good product launch calendar, constantly mm -hmm. releasing new products. If it's on a cadence of two weeks, three weeks, one month, doesn't matter. You need to have a product launch calendar that you constantly release new products. What usually the, the entrepreneurs would come back and say is, no, but our lead time is this and our MOQ is that. Okay, have you talked with your supplier to say, I don't care about your MOQ, just charge me higher, higher unit prices, but I just need to release a new product every two weeks, three weeks, and you can give me instead of 500 units, 100 units, charge me more for the unit price. Because mm -hmm. what you get out of this exercise is constantly having a bump of sales, increasing your repurchase rate because the ones that are most interested about uh, product launches are also your, your mm -hmm. usual customers. And you start to figure out what are the most important products to constantly release. This insight is way more important than keeping your MOQ and keeping your lead times stable. Yeah. You know, like you show me again your product. Um, you can have 1,000 different products you can release and you might be overloaded with choices of what's the next character I should release. Yeah. And you need to plan way ahead because you cannot make a bad investment and so on and so forth. But if you do very limited shots, for about six months, you figure out which ones have the really high potential of sales 
and you turn this one into a regular product in your portfolio after you have gone through a round of tests and you can, okay, I don't care. Now it's not the MOQ that I'm going to, I'm going to order. I'm going to order 10 times the MOQ because this was so successful and I have tested with, uh, even with a break-even uh, financing here of this product that this is going to be crazy successful. So yeah. in the end, what would be analysis paralysis uh, uh, problem now is enabler for you to continuously grow your portfolio. That's really powerful. I've seen companies do that super well, actually. There's, I'm a bit of a, you won't know this, Leo, but I'm a bit of a woodworker. I like to do joinery in my downtime. And I've seen there's one particular tool company that I'm thinking of. They're constant releasing new products, but in limited quantities. And then if they yeah. say, sell, sell well, that product then becomes part of their main product catalog. But there's always, there's, li there's new stuff coming out literally every week. Um, it's like they've just got a department which just makes stuff uh, and see how it sells. And then they come out with version two and that's them, you know, that then becomes part of their sort of main catalog. Otherwise, if it doesn't go well, it just kind of goes, well, that's, you know, the last chance to buy kind of thing before it's gone forever. Um, and they might iterate on it or they might change it at some point in the future. But there seems to be this constant uh, evolving of, of products, which is, which I think for, for most people is, is probably as scary as trying to create a content machine, isn't it? In a, in a lot of ways, you're, you're now creating a product machine um, where the challenge is right. Um, once every two weeks, once every month, we are going to release something new and I want to see, and we're going to release it in a, a limited batch and we're just going to see how it goes. And if it, if it goes well, We'll put it in the main product catalog. Um, yep. I think it's a really interesting strategy. A really, really interesting strategy. Um, what are the what are the hacks do you have, Leo? I'm kind of curious. That was one. What's another one? Um, well, the biggest hack is pricing and bundlings. I would say to have immediate uh, immediate uh, impact. I mean, what people don't put a lot of effort in is thinking about what is the sweet spot pricing your product should have and mm. constantly uh, testing and iterating. So you have to understand that there is a magic number. There is a magic number for your product that people instantly decide if this is good or bad or cheap or expensive or it's mm. worth the money. So having a lot of tests uh, uh, for that is super crucial to have the right conversion rate and the right AOV. So if your product is if you're, if you, there's a whole psychology behind and several books around it as well of how you should write, uh, how you should come up with a price. But having yeah. prices that are very easily anchored on experiences of like this 1999, just below 20. What is 20 for me? Maybe 20 is a dining out. Maybe 20 is a, is a, something I would spend in an afternoon. So, okay, 20, definitely worth it. It's 2350, 2350. What is 2350? Like, it's something in the middle, it's broken. So, okay, maybe you're going to have a way higher conversion rate if you put this to 19.99. So constantly testing and iterating on pricing, it's one of the biggest things interpreters should uh, spend a lot of time uh, iterating on. And these are one of the things that you change today, tomorrow, maximum in one week, you already have a good feedback if this was a good or a bad decision. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does, it's not going to have a huge uh, implication and take uh, months to figure out, but this can have a significant impact in your business, both in a profitability as well as finding the right conversion rate lever. And the second thing is bundling. Um, we found that, okay, if we really need to get to a higher and higher AOV, we need to have a portfolio of products 
that enables us to create bundles. And uh, these bundles are later on sold in a way that it best value for money, way better value for money. So mm-hmm. in this way, you can significantly shoot up your, your AOV and achieve a much higher profitability just because uh, you're selling uh, more products in one go. So bundling is also something people have to really come up with, uh, develop, and give visibility in the website so customers don't have to think too much. This is the best value for money package. Go for it. Yeah. yeah. And we see it over and over that this is one of the, the best tricks to actually get to a better place mm. financially. Fantastic. I feel like we should do an entire episode just on how to do bundles because it's always a hot topic of conversation. But um, uh, they're sure. great hacks. I really like them. Leo, listen, I'm aware of time and uh, time always feels like it's against me when I get into these conversations on the podcast. So if people listening to the show want to find out more about you, want to connect, want to maybe look at how to work with Jump Ventures, what's the best way to do that? Sure. Um, if they want to connect, they can definitely connect on LinkedIn. Uh, they can find me at uh, Leonardo Caracas from Jump Ventures. And if they are interpreters uh, that are in the six figures or in that uh, one million range or a little bit below, and they think they have an interesting company to, to, to be mentored or coached, we do this pro bono. So we actually mentor and coach uh, companies that we believe have the potential to scale uh, pro bono. And they can go to our website at jumpventure.co. So jumpventure.co. Uh, fill in the, the intake form and we can try to have a conversation and see if we can help. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Leo, listen, um, we will, of course, link to all of that information in the show notes as well. So... Uh... <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show, man. How, I guess, what's, what does the future look like for Jump Ventures? What's the, the next big step for you? Well, we are now accelerating a portfolio of companies that we really believe. And we are constantly getting new people, new companies, new founders that we believe in uh, uh, to invest and accelerate. So mm-hmm. we, yeah, the future looks uh, for us a very interesting space where we become the uh, thought leaders, uh, so to say, because we have a proposition that is very different from from what we see in the industry. We don't see anyone playing both cards as an investor, but also an accelerator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we believe that we can become thought leaders for the D2C uh, e-com space. And uh, for us, is what we are, we are aspiring to do. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, listen, uh, Leo, all the best with that. And thanks for coming on the show, man. Genuinely enjoyed the conversation. And um really appreciate your insight it's been i've got pages of notes uh, which has been fun so thanks for coming on thanks matt uh thanks a lot thanks for uh, all the listeners and i hope uh, it was helpful for everyone happy sales uh, yeah absolutely happy sales no you're definitely helpful what a great conversation huge thanks again to leo for joining me today also a big shout out to today's show sponsor the e-commerce cohort remember to check out their training uh, at ecommercecycles.com and be sure to follow the e-commerce podcast wherever you get your podcast from because we've got yet more great conversations lined up and i don't want you to miss any of them and in case no one has told you yet today you are awesome yes you are awesome created awesome it's just a burden you've got to bear leo has to bear it i've got to bear it you've got to bear it as well now, the e-commerce podcast is produced by Aurea Media. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, Estella Robin, and Tanya Hutzelak. 
Our theme song was written by Josh Edmondson. And as I mentioned, if you would like to read the transcript or show notes, just simply head over to the website, which is ecommercepodcast.net. That's it from me. That's it from Leo. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, wherever you are in the world, have a fantastic week. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.